Section six of the Golden Scarecrow by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. Chapter five. Nancy Ross. Part one. Mr. Munty Ross's house was certainly the smartest in March Square. Number 14, where the Duchess of Kroll lived, was shabby in comparison. Very often you may see a line of motor-cars and carriages stretching down the square, then round the corner into Lent Street, and you may know then, as indeed all the square did know, and most carefully observed that mrs munty ross was giving another of her smart little parties that dark green door that neat overhanging balcony those rows in the summer months of scarlet geraniums that roll of carpet that ran many times a week from the door over the pavement to the very foot of the waiting vehicle. These things were Mrs. Munty Ross's. Munty Ross, a silent, ugly, black little man, had made his money in potted shrimps, or something equally compact and indigestible, and it really was very nice to think that anything in time could blossom out into beauty as striking as Mrs. Munty's lovely dresses, or melody as wonderful as the voice of Monsieur Radizouil, the famous tenor whom she often turned on at her little evening parties. Upon Mr. Munty alone the shrimps seemed to have made no effect. He was as black, as insignificant, as ugly, as ever he had been in the days before he knew of a shrimp's possibilities. He was very silent at his wife's parties, and sometimes dropped his H's. What Mrs. Munty had been before her marriage no one quite knew, but now she was flaxen and slim and beautifully clothed, with a voice like an insincere canary. She had a passion for the opera, a passion for motoring, a passion for the latest religion, and a passion for the simple life. All these things did the shrimps enable her to gratify, and the simple life cost her more than all the others put together. Heaven had blessed them with one child, and that child was called Nancy. Nancy, her mother always said with pride, was old for her age, and as her age was only just five, that remark was quite true. Nancy Ross was old for any age. Had she herself, one is compelled when considering her to wonder, any conception during those first months of the things that were going to be made out of her, and had she, perhaps at the very commencement of it all, some instinct of protest and rebellion? Poor Nancy, 
the tragedy of her whole case was now none other than that she hadn't here at five years old in march square the slightest picture of what she had become nor could she i suppose have imagined it possible for her to become anything different nancy in her own real and naked person was a small child with a good flow of flaxen hair and light blue eyes all her features were small and delicate and she gave you the impression that if you only pulled a string or pushed a button somewhere in the middle of her back you could evoke any cry smile or exclamation that you cared to arouse her eyes were old and weary her attitude always that of one who had learnt the ways of this world had found them sawdust but had nevertheless consented still to play the game just as the house was filled with little gilt chairs and china cockatoos so was nancy arrayed in ribbons and bows and lace mrs munty had one must suppose surveyed during certain periods in her life certain real emotions rather as the gaping villagers survey the tiger behind his bars in the travelling circus the time had then come when she put these emotions away from her as childish things and determined never to be faced with any of them again it was not likely then that she would introduce nancy to any of them she introduced nancy to clothes and deportment and left it at that she wanted her child to look nice she was able now that nancy was five years old to say that she looked very nice indeed part two from the very beginning nurses were chosen who would take care of nancy ross's appearance there was plenty of money to spend and nancy was a child who with her flaxen hair and blue eyes would repay trouble she did repay it because she had no desires towards grubbiness or rebellion or any wildnesses whatever she just sat there with her doll balanced neatly in her arms and allowed herself to be pulled and twisted and squeezed and stretched there's a pretty little lady said nurse and a pretty little lady nancy was sure that she was the order for her day was that in the morning she went out for a walk in the gardens in the square and in the afternoon she went out for another during these walks she moved slowly her doll delicately carried her beautiful clothes shining with approval of the way that they were worn her head high like a little queen said her nurse she was conscious of the other children in the gardens who often stopped in the middle of their play and watched her she thought them hot and dirty and very noisy she was sorry for their mothers 
it happened sometimes that she came downstairs towards the end of a luncheon party and was introduced to the guests you pretty little thing women in very large hats said to her lovely hair or she's the very image of you clarice to her mother she liked to hear that because she greatly admired her mother she knew that she nancy ross was beautiful she knew that clothes were of an immense importance she knew that other children were unpleasant for the rest she was neither extravagantly glad nor extravagantly sorry she preserved a fine indifference and yet although here my story may seem to matter-of-fact persons to take a turn towards the fantastic this was not quite all nancy herself dimly and yet uneasily was aware that there was something else she was not a little girl who believed in fairies or witches or the boogeyman or anything indeed that she could not see she inherited from her mother a splendid confidence in the reality the solid unquestioned reality of all concrete and tangible things she had been presented once with a fine edition of grimm's fairy tales an edition with colored pictures and every allure she had turned its pages with a look of incredulous amazement what she seemed to say she was then aged three and a half are these absurd things that you are telling me people aren't like that mother isn't in the least like that i don't understand this and it's tedious i'm afraid the child has no imagination said her nurse what a lucky thing said her mother nor could mrs ross's house be said to be a place that encouraged fairies they would have found the gilt chairs hard to sit upon and there were no mysterious corners there was nothing mysterious at all and yet nancy ross sitting in her magnificent clothes was conscious as she advanced towards her sixth year that she was not perfectly comfortable to say that she felt lonely would be perhaps to emphasize too strongly her discomfort it was perhaps rather that she felt inquisitive only a little a very little but she did begin to wish that she could ask a few questions there came a day an astonishing day when she felt irritated with her mother she had during her walk through the garden seen a little boy and a little girl who were grubbing about in a little pile of earth and sand there in the corner under the trees and grubbing very happily they had dirt upon their faces but their nurse was sitting apparently quite easy in her mind and the sun had not stopped in its course 
nor had the birds upon the trees ceased to sing. Nancy stayed for a moment her progress, and looked at them, and something not very far from envy struck, in some far distant hiding-place, her soul. She moved on, but when she came indoors, and was met by her mamma and a handsome lady, her mamma's friend, who said, "'Isn't she a pretty dear?' And her mother said, "'That's right, Nancy, darling, been for your walk.' She was, for an amazing moment, irritated with her beautiful mother. Part Three Once she was conscious of this desire to ask questions, she had no more peace. Although she was only five years of age, she had all the determination not to give herself away of a woman of forty. She was not going to show that she wanted anything in the world, and yet she would have liked. A little wistfully she looked at her nurse. But that good woman, carefully chosen by Mrs. Ross, was not the one to encourage questions. She was as shining as a new brass nail, and a great deal harder. The nursery was as neat as a pin, with a lovely bright rocking-horse upon which Nancy had never ridden. A pink doll's house with every modern contrivance, whose doors had never been opened a number of expensive dolls, which had never been disrobed. Nancy approached these joys, diffidently and with caution. She rode upon the horse, opened the doll's house, embraced the dolls, but she had no natural imagination to bestow upon them, and the horse and the dolls, hurt perhaps at their long neglect, received her with frigidity. Those grubby little children in the square would, she knew, have been there in a moment. She began, then, to be frightened. The nursery, her bedroom, the dark little passage outside, were suddenly alarming. Sometimes, when she was sitting quietly in her nursery, the house was so silent that she could have screamed. "'I don't think Miss Nancy's quite well, ma'am,' said the nurse. "'Oh, dear, what a nuisance,' said Mrs. Ross, who liked her little girl to be always well and beautiful. "'I do hope she's not going to catch something.' "'She doesn't take that pleasure in her clothes, she did,' said the nurse." "'Perhaps she wants some new ones,' said her mother. "'Take her to Florice, nurse.' Nancy went to Florice, and beautiful new garments were invented, and once again she was squeezed and tightened and stretched and pulled. But Nancy was indifferent. As they tried these clothes, and stood back, and stepped forward, and admired and criticised, she was thinking, I wish the nursery clock didn't make such a noise. Her little bedroom next to nurse's large one 
was a beautiful affair, with red roses up and down the wallpaper, and in and out of the crockery, and round and round the carpet. Her bed was magnificent, with lace and more roses, and there was a fine photograph of her beautiful mother in a silver frame on the mantelpiece. But all these things were of little avail when the dark came. She began to be frightened of the dark. There came a night when, waking with a suddenness that did of itself contribute to her alarm, she was conscious that the room was intensely dark, and that every one was very far away. The house, as she listened, seemed to be holding its breath. The clock in the nursery was ticking in a frightened, startled terror, and hesitating, whimsical noises broke, now close, now distant, upon the silence. She lay there, her heart beating as it had surely never been allowed to beat before. She was simply a very small, very frightened little girl. Then, before she could cry out, she was aware that someone was standing beside her bed. She was aware of this before she looked, and then, strangely, even now she had taken no peep, she was frightened no longer. The room, the house, were suddenly comfortable and safe places. As water slips from a pool and leaves it dry, so had terror glided from her side. She looked up then, and although the place had been so dark that she had been unable to distinguish the furniture, she could figure to herself quite clearly her visitor's form. She not only figured it, but also quite easily and readily recognized it. All these years she had forgotten him, but now at the vision of his large, comfortable presence, she was back again amongst experiences and recognitions that evoked for her once more all those odd first days when, with how much discomfort and puzzled dismay, she had been dropped, so suddenly, into this distressing world. He put his arms around her and held her. He bent down and kissed her, and her small hand went up to his beard in exactly the way that it used to do. She nestled up against him. "'It's a very long time, isn't it?' he said, "'since I paid you a visit.' Yes, a long, long time. That's because you didn't want me. You got on so well without me. I didn't forget about you, she said, but I asked Mummy about you once, and she said you were all nonsense, and I wasn't to think things like that. Ah, your mother's forgotten altogether. She knew me once, but she hasn't wanted me for a very, very long time. She'll see me again, though, one day. I'm so glad you've come. You won't go away again now, will you? I never go away, 
he said. I'm always here. I've seen everything you've been doing, and a very dull time you've been making of it. He talked to her and told her about some of the things the other children in the square were doing. She was interested a little, but not very much. She still thought a great deal more about herself than about anything or anybody else. Do they all love you? she said. Oh, no, not at all. Some of them think I'm horrid. Some of them forget me altogether, and then I never come back until just at the end. Some of them only want me when they're in trouble. Some very soon think it silly to believe in me at all, and the older they grow, the less they believe, generally. And when I do come, they won't see me. They make up their minds not to. But I'm always there, just the same. It makes no difference what they do. They can't help themselves. Only it's better for them just to remember me a little, because then it's much safer for them. You've been feeling rather lonely lately, haven't you? Yes, she said. It's stupid now all by myself. There's nobody to ask questions of. Well, there's somebody else in your house who's lonely. Is there? She couldn't think of anyone. Yes, your father. Oh, father. She was uninterested. Yes, you see, if he isn't... And then, at that, he was gone. She was alone, and fast asleep. In the morning, when she awoke, she remembered it all quite clearly, but, of course, it had all been a dream. Such a funny dream, she told her nurse, but she would give out no details. Some food she's been eating, said her nurse. Nevertheless, when, on that afternoon, coming in from her walk, she met her dark, grubby little father in the hall, she did stay for a moment on the bottom step of the stairs to consider him. I've been for a walk, Daddy, she said, and then, rather frightened at her boldness, tumbled up on the next step. He went forward to catch her. Hold up, he said, held her for a moment, and then hurried, confused and rather agitated, into his dark sanctum. These were very nearly the first words that they had ever, in the course of their lives together, interchanged. Munty Ross was uneasy with grown-up persons, unless he was discussing business with them, but that discomfort was nothing to the uneasiness that he felt with children. Little girls, who certainly looked at him as though he were an ogre, frightened him quite horribly. Moreover, Mrs. Munty had, for a great number of years, pursued a policy with regard to her husband that was not calculated to make him bright and easy in any society. Poor old Munty, she would say to her friends, 
it's not all his fault. It was, as a fact, very largely hers. He had never been an eloquent man, but her playful derision of his uncouthness slew any little seeds of polite conversation that might, under happier conditions, have grown into brilliant blossom. It had been understood from the very beginning that Nancy was not of her father's world. He would have been scarcely aware that he had a daughter had he not, at certain periods, paid bills for her clothes. "'What's a child want with all this?' he had ventured once to say. "'Hardly your business, my dear,' his wife had told him. "'The child's clothes are marvellously cheap, considering. I don't know how Floris does it for the money.' He resented nothing, it was not his way, but he did feel, deep down in his heart, that the child was overdressed, that it must be bad for any little girl to be praised in the way that his daughter was praised, that the kid will grow up with the most tremendous ideas. He resented it perhaps a little that his young daughter had so easily accustomed herself to the thought that she had no father. She might just want to see me occasionally, but I'd only frighten her, I suppose, if she did. Munty Ross had very little of the sentimentalist about him. He was completely cynical about the value of the human heart, and believed in the worth and goodness of no one at all. He had, for a brief wild moment, been in love with his wife, but she had taken care to kill that, the earlier the better. My dear, she would say to a chosen friend, what Munty's like when he's romantic. She never, after the first month of their married life together, caught a glimpse of that side of him. Now, however, he did permit his mind to linger over that vision of his little daughter tumbling on the stairs. He wondered what had made her do it. He was astonished at the difference that it made to him. To Nancy also it had made a great difference. She wished that she had stayed there on the stairs a little longer to hold a more important conversation. She had thought of her father as all horrid. Now his very contrast to her little world pleased and interested her. It may also be that, although she was young, she had, even now, a picture in her mind of her father's loneliness. She may have seen into her mother's attitude with an acuteness much older than her actual years. She thought now continually about her father. She made little plans to meet him, but these meetings were not, as a rule, successful, because so often he was down in the city. She would wait at the end of her afternoon walk on the stairs. "'Come along, Miss Nancy, do. What are you hanging about there for?' "'Nothing. You'll be disturbing your mother.' 
just a minute she peered anxiously her little head almost held by the railings of the banisters she gazed down into black mysterious depths wherein her father might be hidden she was driven to all this partly by some real affection that had hitherto found no outlet partly by a desire for adventure but partly also by some force that was behind her and quite recognized by her it was as though she said if i'm nice to my father and make friends with him then you must promise that i shan't be frightened in the middle of the night that the clock won't tick too loudly that the blind won't flap that it won't all be too dark and dreadful she knew that she had made this compact then she had several little encounters with her father she met him one day on the doorstep he had come up whilst she was standing there had a good walk he said nervously she looked at him and laughed then he went hurriedly indoors on the second occasion she had come down to be shown off at a luncheon party she had been praised and petted and then in the hall had run into her father's arms he was in his top hat going down to his old city looking the nurse thought just like a monkey but nancy stayed holding on to the leg of his trousers suddenly he bent down and whispered were they nice to you in there yes why weren't you there i was i left got to go and work what sort of work making money for your clothes take me too would you like to come yes take me he bent down and kissed her but suddenly hearing the voices of the luncheon party they separated like conspirators he crept out of the house after that there was no question of their alliance the sort of affection that most children feel for old ugly and battered dolls nancy now felt for her father and the warmth of this affection melted her dried stubborn little soul caught her up into visions wonders sympathies that had seemed surely denied to her for ever now sit still miss nancy while i do up the back oh silly old clothes said nancy then one day she declared i want to be dirty like those children in the garden and a nice state your mother would be in cried the amazed nurse father wouldn't nancy thought father wouldn't mind there came at last the wonderful day when her father penetrated into the nursery he arrived furtively very much it appeared ashamed of himself and exceedingly shy of the nurse he did not remain very long he said very little a funny picture he had made with his blue face his black shiny hair his fat little legs and his anxious 
rather stupid eyes. He sat rather awkwardly in a chair, with Nancy on his knee. He wrung his hair for things to say. The nurse left them for a moment alone together, and then Nancy whispered, Daddy, let's go into the gardens together, you and me. Just us. No silly old nurse. One morning. She found the little G still a difficulty. Would you like that? He whispered back. I don't know I'd be much good in a garden. Oh, you'll be all right, she asserted with confidence. I want to dig. She'd made up her mind then to that. As Hannibal determined to cross the Alps, as Napoleon set his feet towards Moscow, so did Nancy Ross resolve that she would, in the company of her father, dig in the gardens. She stroked her father's hand, rubbed her head upon his sleeve, exactly as she would have caressed, had she been another little girl, the damaged features of her old rag doll. She was beginning, however, for the first time in her life, to love someone other than herself. He came, then, quite often to the nursery. He would slip in, stay a moment or two, and slip out again. He brought her presents and sweets which made her ill. And, always in the presence of Mrs. Munty, they appeared as strangers. The day came when Nancy achieved her desire. They had their great adventure. Part 4 A fine summer morning came, and with it, in a bowler hat, at the nursery door, the hour being about eleven, Mr. Munty Ross. "'I'll take Nancy this morning, nurse,' he said, with a strange, choking little cluck in his throat. Now, the nurse, although, as I've said, of a shining and superficial appearance, was no fool. She had watched the development of the intrigue. Her attitude to the master of the house was composed of pity, patronage, and a rather motherly interest. She did not see how her mistress could avoid her attitude. It was precisely the attitude that she would herself have adopted in that position, but, nevertheless, she was sorry for the man. So out of it as he is. Her maternal feelings were uppermost now. It's nice of the child, she thought, and him so ugly. Of course, sir, she said. We shall be back in about an hour. He attempted an easy indifference, was conscious that he failed, and blushed. He was aware that his wife was out. He carried off his prize. The gardens were very full on this lovely summer morning, but Nancy, without any embarrassment or confusion, took charge of the proceedings. "'Where are we going?' he said, gazing rather helplessly about him, feeling extremely shy. There were so many bold children, so many bolder nurses. 
even the birds on the trees seemed to deride him and a stumpy fox-terrier puppy stood with its four legs planted wide barking at him over here she said without a moment's hesitation and she dragged him along she halted at last in a corner of the gardens where was a large overhanging chestnut and a wooden seat here the shouts and cries of the children came more dimly the splashing of the fountain could be heard like a melodious refrain with a fascinating note of hesitation in it and the deep green leaves of the tree made a cool thick covering very nice he said and sat down on the seat tilting his hat back and feeling very happy indeed nancy also was very happy there in front of her was the delightful pile of earth and sand untouched it seemed in an instant regardless of her frock she was down upon her knees i ought to have a spade she said you'll make yourself dreadfully dirty nancy your beautiful frock but he had nevertheless the feeling that after all he had paid for it and if he hadn't the right to see it ruined who had oh she murmured with the ecstasy of one who has abandoned herself freely and with a glad heart to all the vices she dug her hands into the mire she scattered it about her she scooped and delved and excavated it was her intention to build something in the nature of a high high hill she patted the surface of the sand and behold it was instantly a beautiful shape very smooth and shining it was hot her hat fell back her knees were thick with the good brown earth that once lovely creation of floris was stained and black she then began softly partly to herself partly to her father and partly to that other friend who had helped her to these splendors a song of joy and happiness to the ordinary observer it might have seemed merely a discordant noise proceeding from a little girl engaged in the making of mud pies it was in reality as the chestnut tree the birds the fountain the flowers the various small children even the very earth she played with understood a fine offering thanksgiving and triumphal paean to the god of heaven of the earth and of the waters that were under the earth munty himself caught the refrain he was recalled to a day when mud pies had been to him also things of surpassing joy there was a day when a naked and very ugly little boy he had danced beside a mountain burn he looked upon his daughter and his daughter looked upon him they were friends for ever and ever she rose 
her fingers were so sticky with mud that they stood apart down her right cheek ran a fine black smear her knees were caked good heavens he exclaimed she flung herself upon him and kissed him down his cheek also now a fine smear marked its way he looked at his watch one o'clock good heavens he said again i say old girl we'll have to be going mother's got a party he tried ineffectually to cleanse his daughter's face we'll come back she cried looking down triumphantly upon her handiwork we'll have to smuggle you up into the nursery somehow but he added yes will come again part five they hurried home very furtively munty ross fitted his key into the yale lock of his fine door they slipped into the hall there before them were mrs ross and two of her most splendid friends very fine was munty's wife in a tight clinging frock of light blue and wearing upon her head a hat like a waste-paper basket with a blue handle at the back of it very fine were her two lady friends clothed also in the tightest of garments shining and lovely and precious good god munty and the child it was a terrible moment quite unconscious was munty of the mud that stained his cheek perfectly tranquil his daughter as she gazed with glowing happiness about her a terrible moment for mrs ross an unforgettable one for her friends nor were they likely to keep the humour of it entirely to themselves down in a minute going up to clean smiling he passed his wife on the bottom step nancy chanted we've had the most lovely morning daddy and i we've been digging we're going to dig again aren't i dirty mummy round the corner of the stairs in the shadow nancy kissed her father again i'm never going to be clean any more she announced and you may fancy if you please that somewhere in the shadows of the house someone heard those words and chuckled with delighted pleasure end of chapter five